2 Samuel chapter 11. I just want to read the first verse and then I want to do a little bit um, logistically with the passages and then I want to answer two questions. Uh, The first question is, uh, how long or what is the chronology of what went on here in this chapter? And then the second one is what was going on in David's heart during this, these times in which um, chapter 11, chapter 12 uh, delineate. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, <clears throat> then it happened in the spring. <clears throat> now note the chronology. It happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now, if you had a reference Bible, I'm sure it's referenced there besides 2 Samuel chapter 11, this chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I want you to turn there. Because in 2 in, excuse me, First Chronicles chapter 20, David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah is not mentioned. But this time period is. And in First Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 1, then it happened in the spring <clears throat> at the time when kings go out to battle that Joab led out the army and ravaged the land of the sons of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem, and then note this, and Joab struck Rabbah and overthrew it. Now, between the sentence in 1 Chronicles 20, between the sentence, David stayed at at Jerusalem, and the sentence, Joab struck Rabbah and overthrew it, between those two sentences is 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And you just may want to make a note that, so that when you read through that, that you do see that. And let me show you that in 2 Samuel. We read in chapter 11 verse 1 that Rabbah was besieged, and then if you go all the way down to 2 Samuel 12, and verse 26, now Joab fought against Rabbah of the sons of Ammon and captured the royal city. So 2 Samuel 12, 26 picks up right here in 1 Chronicles chapter 20 and gives that description. So between those two, between that period and the start of the next sentence, you have two full chapters which take up almost a year of David's life. That's not in Chronicles, but is in the book of Second Samuel. And the reason why I'm going to look at the chronology here as we're kind of introducing it is because years and years ago, I had a man tell me one time who was who had committed adultery. He did profess to be a believer, and he was still in the process of committing fornication. He told me, he was a very young believer at that time, he told me that he was confident that when uh, he died that he was going to um, be with the Lord because he had confessed Christ 
and yet he had been in this fornicatious situation for years and years and years and years. And when I kind of gently pushed back on that a little bit, he said, well, David did that. And is David in heaven? Well, the answer is what? David, David is in heaven, isn't he? But the man was using David's experience that is recorded as justification that when he died, that he was confident that he was going to go to heaven, not because of anything Christ did, but just because David did exactly what he had done, minus the murder, and he's in heaven. That's a very poor and lame excuse, if you ask me. And that kind of drugged me at an early age to take a look at this passage, and through the years I've taken periodic looks at this passage, and I don't want any of us thinking at any moment well, you know, David did this, or some saint in the Old Testament did this, therefore, it's okay if I do it. Because, you know, God is a forgiving what? God is a forgiving God. So I want to take a look at that chronology to let us see the time frame. Was it years and years and years before Nathan came and confronted David? And I also want to look at, does the Bible help us understand what was going on in the heart of David during these days? In other words, was he just enjoying life and having a great time? Or was there something else that was going on that was indicative of the Lord working in his life as the Lord would work in any of our lives? So let's look at the chronology or the time frame first. We're here in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and if you read chapter 12 and chapter 13, excuse me, chapter 11 and chapter 12, what you walk away with is this. What is the time period between David's transgressions and Nathan's rebuke and David's repentance? How long a time period is that? You can figure it out very simply. Well, let me ask you this. Was it years? No, it wasn't years. We can safely say that it was at least 40 weeks. Why would I say 40 weeks, ladies? Because she was pregnant. She conceived, right? And she gave birth, okay? So we could say at least 40 weeks. That's about, if you're going to calculate that, that's 9.3 months. Okay, because four weeks is literally 4.3 weeks per month if you extend that over through a year. So it's at least 40 weeks. And my point being, it wasn't years, was it? And it wasn't decades. It wasn't even five years. It wasn't even a couple of years. In other words, did the Lord delay? And the answer to that is no. The Lord did not delay dealing with David concerning this transgression. 
So let's just kind of step through a possible, I say a possible chronology because the Bible doesn't give us uh, everything. I don't know exactly, for instance, I don't know how in Bathsheba's day, when did they come to know that they were fully convinced that they were pregnant. Okay, so I'm kind of making some estimates as I go through here. But what you have here is in chapter 11, you have King David committing his act of fornication, and you'll see that in verse 4. David sent messengers, took her, and when she came to him, he, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. So there was the act of fornication that went on. Then as far as chronology is concerned, there were the days of purification. Did you see that in verse 4? That's that's probably around seven days. Okay, so here you have the messengers. He was intimate with her. And then she purified herself from her uncleanness, and then she returned to her house. Somewhere around there is about seven days. Then in verse 5, you have the fact that the woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am what? I am pregnant. So how long did it take for Bathsheba to be fully confident that she was pregnant. I mean, she didn't go down to the pharmacy store, right? So I'm guesstimating that that's probably somewhere around 30 to 45 days. Somewhere in that, I would go with the shorter amount first if I was just making an estimate. So we're about a month in those those verses. Then, when David finds out that she's pregnant, well, he's got a problem, doesn't he? He's got a severe problem. And so what he does is he lays a plot. Now, his conceived plan in that plot is from 2 Samuel uh, uh, chapter 11, verses 6 through verse 25. No doubt that in the plotting and in the murder of Uriah, and Uriah was Bathsheba's what? Husband. No doubt that the plan that David came up with was not to murder Uriah. That wasn't the plan at all. The plan was to hide her pregnancy and birth by bringing Uriah back and him going home to his wife with an understanding that there would be intimacy, and then lo and behold, she finds out she's what? She's pregnant. That's one way to try to hide the pregnancy that had occurred. I think that was the plot that David came up with. The problem was is that Bathsheba's husband was more honorable than David. And that Uriah retained his honor 
by not going down to his wife and family, but staying, sleeping out in the night because the armies of Israel would be sleeping out in the night. And you know what that did with David's plan? What happened to David's plan? Totally spoiled his plan. So you see why I don't think that his plan was to murder Uriah. I think his plan was to hide the pregnancy and the birth and that the child would be Uriah's, not his. But Uriah spoiled David's plan to hide his sin. So, perhaps in David's mind, he had no other option. Now, did he have other options? He had other options. He could have confessed, right? But that's never an option when you're in David's situation like this. What you want to do is hide it, right? You've got to hide it so nobody knows your sin. And so since confession was not an option, in David's mind, perhaps, he thought, there's only one option left, and that is this. Uriah must die. I must take Bathsheba to be my wife. And therefore, the child would have been understood by everybody to have been conceived while Bathsheba was my, my, my wife. Everybody see that? Does he take her to be his wife? He does. And folks, that is the way sin is. You've heard, I know you've heard Dr. Danny say this, sin takes you further than what you planned. Okay, here, here's an example of you've got it all figured out. What a great scheme this is. Send Uriah home. Everything's taken care of. Now we know it wouldn't have been, but in David's mind it would have taken care of everything. It would have hid everything. So Uriah is a man of integrity and a man of honor and he spoiled David's plan. So therefore the only way that I can hide this transgression is for Uriah to die, me take Bathsheba to be my wife, and people would think that everything would have been legit. So what does he do? Well, he sends for Uriah. So you see that in verse 14. Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by whose hand? Uriah. Now he really is a man of integrity. He did not open it up and read it, did he? And David knew that he wouldn't. In effect, he's delivering his own death sentence as he goes out there. But where is Joab? Now we're looking for chronology. Where's Joab? Yeah, he's at Rabbah. Rabbah, if you took a plane, which you couldn't do, 
was about 40 miles from Jerusalem. But since there wasn't any planes and you couldn't fly the crow, so to speak, you had to go by the highways. It was about 100 miles to travel. And depending on how he went, it could take three or four days for Uriah to get back to the battlefield. Okay, so David, you get the picture. You got about 30 days. He calls for Uriah. How long does it take Uriah to get to him? Three or four days. Okay. Then he stays in Jerusalem three. And then he has to go back, and that's three or four what? Three or four days. So we're somewhere around ten days. Then Joab has to send message back. He had to get in battle. He gets put in the front. He dies. Joab then has to send a messenger back. And I'm going to say the messenger probably only took two to three days. Why? Because they were typically runners. So just think of marathoning. Okay? They would run all day. That was the way. That was the internet of the day. Okay? So that's three or four days. So you're talking a couple of what? You're talking a couple of weeks. Then in verse 26, Bathsheba hears of her husband's death. And she mourns for her husband. Now, there's no indication at this point that Bathsheba is aware that it's David that murdered her husband. Everybody following the chronology here. No indication that Bathsheba is aware of this. And she mourns for her husband. Mourning for the dead in the Scripture took about 30 days. Then, note, verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. That was about 30 days. Verse 27, when the time of mourning was over, David sent, brought her to his house, and she became his what? Wife. Okay, so everybody following the chronology here. So we don't know, but all this was happening relatively quickly, wasn't it? Okay. More than likely, we're talking within three months or so, all this has occurred. Then, you'll notice in verse 27, she became his wife. Then, having become his wife, she bore him a wife, a son. So that was some six months after that or so, depending on exactly how correct I am in this chronology, because a full-term pregnancy is about 40 weeks. About 9.3 months. So David marries Bathsheba. The child is born. Everything is okay. It's all hid. Except for this last sentence in chapter 11. But the thing that David had done was evil in the what of the Lord? 
Guess who saw it? The Lord saw it. So it seems to be all what? It seems to be all hid. If I'm correct, Bathsheba marries him, not knowing David did what? Murder her husband. Baby's born. Everything's good. But it was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord was watching. Folks, that really is part of our darkness. Part of our darkness is that we think we can hide. And you know the phrase, your sin will find you out. And if it doesn't find you out in this life, it will find you out in the life when you stand before the Lord. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, some men's sins are beforehand, others follow after that, but the Lord sees all. Now very quickly, you have in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, in our translation, the very first word is what? Then. Now in the Hebrew, it's just the word for an. An can be translated several different ways. But then you had Nathan coming to David with the word of the Lord. And I'm assuming, and I would be in agreement with the translators, that Nathan coming to David occurred very shortly after the birth of the baby. And Nathan confronts David. And the reason why I think that Nathan confronted David very shortly after the birth of the child is because all throughout the passage you will see Nathan talking about the child that is born to you. Okay, he just didn't say, David, your offspring is going to die or David, your child is going to die. He specifically makes this note, the child that has been born to you. I'm assuming it's very, very quickly upon the birth of this child. And then if you look in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and look down in verse 14, <clears throat> Nathan, among other things, <clears throat> states that because of this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child, now note the phrase, the child also that is born to you <clears throat> shall surely what? shall surely die. Does anything come to mind when you read that verse? It did to mine, and so I did a little Hebrew search. The first occurrence of the Hebrew phrase, surely die, is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. And you know what that says. God told Adam that in the day you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. And I wrote in my notes, did David pick up that reference? 
this was a result of his transgression, right? Death was a result of Adam's and Eve's transgression. And then it says in verse 16 that Nathan went to his house and the Lord struck the child. And we know from verse 18 that seven days later, the child what? The child died. So folks, here's the point. It did not take decades for this to occur. It didn't take decades for the Lord to take note of it. It didn't take decades for the Lord to do something, as it were. Did it? We're talking less than a year. In fact, according to how I kind of juggle the date here, we're probably talking somewhere around 10 to 11 months from the transgression. (laughs) Certainly less than a year that this occurred. So the illustration of this man that is using David as an illustration isn't valid. The man who had committed various fornications for many, many, many years and yet was so confident. Because we know that the text says that habitual fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God, don't we? Okay, so, so we have that, but you say, okay, what's habitual? <laughs> How long is that? You know, you start asking questions like that because it's kind of vague. But we know this, you can't use David as an illustration for someone's long-term transgression like this. So the second question I'm going to answer tonight is, all right, <clears throat> during these 10 or 11 months, what's going on with David? Does the Bible tell us anything about the inner working of David's soul during all this time? And the Bible does. Two Psalms are written concerning David's transgression. And one of them is Psalm 32. There are probably hints of his transgression in other psalms, but these are definitive. Psalm 32. And if you want to hold your place there, and the other psalm is Psalm 51. Now, i still got a little work to do on what I'm about to tell you, but I think that Psalm 51 was composed before Psalm 32. And here's the reason why I think so. If you look at Psalm 51, it does have a prescription here. It says, A Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Everybody see that? And in this psalm, what is David pleading with the Lord for? Forgiveness, isn't he? Okay. Now look at Psalm 32. Verse 
Look at the first verse. How blessed is he whose transgression is what? Forgiven, Forgiven, whose sin is covered. Everybody see that? So Psalm 32 is a psalm, it is an instructional psalm, but it is an instructional psalm of a man who now has assurance that he has been what? He has been forgiven, and he'll teach you what's necessary for that to happen in Psalm 32. But Psalm 51 gives to us what was going on in David's heart and life. And folks, even though outwardly perhaps people couldn't tell it, although people probably could sense something was wrong with the king, but you just didn't go up casually to the king and say, hey buddy, how are you feeling? You know, you had to get an audience and all that type of thing. But David was a miserable man during these 10 or 11 months. And I just, I'm just going to read it with hardly any commentary as we go through here. But just note how miserable he is. <clears throat> he asks for cleansing, verse 2. And then he says in verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. So he couldn't get out of his mind what? He couldn't get out of his mind this. It was with him 24-7. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me to hear joy and gladness. What does that mean? That means it didn't matter what was happening around him. He did not hear what? He didn't hear any joy or gladness in his life. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. You ever had a broken bone? How's that feel? Well, it depends on which bone you broke and how bad, right? Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a what kind of heart? What kind of heart was he living with? A dirty one, right? This is what he's living with. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence. Do you hear that fear? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do you hear that fear? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. What was that dealing with? What's blood guiltiness? Murder. Murder. Murder of Uriah. O God, the God of my salvation, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Guess what happened to the song? Guess what happened to the melody in your heart making melody one to another? It was gone. 
Verse 16, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a what kind of spirit? Folks, during those 10 or 11 months, he was setting himself up to be broken. Because during those 10 and 11 months, as he was trying to hide this, and as he was trying to cover all this over, his heart got harder and harder and harder and harder until it broke. And folks, the harder your heart, the more your pride, the harder your heart, the further you fall. Pride takes you upward, right? A broken heart takes you where? Down. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So was David just enjoying life and having a great time? The answer is what? No. Someone says, well, I know I'm doing all this, but you know, God's a forgiving God and I'm just having a great time. Well, you're, you're not in David's position. Not at all. Folks, the Lord takes these things very seriously, doesn't He? And to compound the situation, David was a very public figure. And the Lord dealt with him and dealt with him and David kept hardening his heart and trying to cover it over and coming up with these plots and it looked like everything was working and Bathsheba's now his wife. And then the old man of God gets in the way. Because what did David do? Well, he broke all the commandments, but the illustration that Nathan uses basically says this. David, you're the man. You stole another man's wife. How'd you like to tell that to the king? And David immediately just said, I've sinned. So here's three conclusions, and I want you to turn to 1 Kings. <clears throat> I'm going to read 1 Kings chapter 1 with my last point. Number 1. It did not take years for the Lord to address David's so-called secret sin of fornication and murder. It was somewhere between 9 to 12 months. Secondly, David was living with increasing with the increasing weight of blood guiltiness with Uriah. Multiple transgressions. The danger of the Holy Spirit being taken away from him like it was from Saul. He had seen that with Saul, hadn't he? A loss of a walk with the Lord. And he was having to live with, his in, with the impact of all this on Uriah and Bathsheba's family 
and the impact that it would have on a nation. I would call that a weight, wouldn't you? And folks, the Lord allowed that weight. There's something in a believer we can resist a long time. But as the weight increases and it becomes crushing, and then we don't have the internal strength anymore to bear it, we flee to the One who can help us. And that's the One who's allowed the weight of sin to be upon you. And thirdly, do you believe that God wrote your Bible? Do you believe that God put in there exactly what we needed to note? Thirdly, David never did this again. In 1 Kings chapter 1, King David was old and advanced in age, And they covered him with clothes. He couldn't keep what? Warm. And you elderly people know that. The older you get, the more clothes you put on. Okay, you got to stay warm. I remember going over to my in-law's house and we we would spend the night with them. And it was great that they did that. And the house was 82. And we would literally go where we were sleeping in the bedroom and shut the door into the bedroom and open the window so that 20 degree air could come in just so that we could survive. But they were just fine. They thought it was great. Well, they didn't have heat pumps and air conditioners and all that. How, how, How do you keep the king warm? Well, two are better than one. You've got a 98.6 another person, right? And so verse 2, His servant said to him, Let them seek a young virgin for my lord the king, and let her attend the king and become his nurse, and let her lie in your bosom, that my lord the king may keep warm. How would you like to have that as your job? To be an electric blanket. Verse 3, So they searched for a beautiful girl throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishai the Shumanite and brought her to the king. And the girl was very beautiful. And she became the king's nurse and served him. But note what the Holy Spirit writes for us. The king did not know her is what the King James says. The king did not cohabitate with her. Why is that noted? Why do you think the Holy Spirit noted that for us? To show us that the Lord's chastening of David did bear forth the fruit of righteousness. So folks, was this an habitual thing where he committed fornication with women and murdered their husbands? The answer was what? No. No. And he had a lot more ramifications because of this sin than just this. But So the answer to our question is, is that David was a miserable man during all this time. 
It didn't take years and years and years. And David learned his lesson and he never did it again.